The following episode has sexual themes and mildly explicit language. The content was made for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is advised. The following episode has sexual themes and mildly explicit language. The content was made for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Sari's On Screen. I'm Usha. And I'm Rico. And we're talking about politics, patriarchy, and pop culture. Catch us every other Friday as we do feminist deep dives into South Asian culture and cinema. Before we start, we would like to add an additional trigger warning because this episode contains sensitive themes like gender-based violence, sexual assault, rape, and abuse. This can be emotionally triggering and disturbing, so we recommend that all our listeners prioritize their mental health and engage with the following content with caution. In our last episode, we spoke about rape and purity culture, and we were able to touch a little bit on honor culture and the impact that it has on society and the victims of sexual assault. You know, in our last episode, we used a lot of documentaries, so for this episode, I felt like we felt like it would be like better to sort of look into movies that deal with this theme Mm. and like oftentimes i feel like you know movies that sort of portray rape can go in like two directions Mm. and it can either be the super sort of gratuitous voyeuristic sort of performance to for you know men to indulge in sort of a staple in like you know certain types of movies Mm -hmm. and like more socially aware brand of it which you know sometimes can be successful sometimes not so successful (laughs) in its sort of like attempts and like but I think in you know I think for majority of the cases for both of these sort of types of movies the messaging is always the same that you know this is something that only happens to bad women you know that this is a punishment for bad women yeah that rape is like um yeah like you're being put in your place through like sexual assault or like violence of this mm-hmm. sort. and yeah and i think that you know that it serves as a tool of control like this like constant social messaging that is mm-hmm. like passed on not just in our media but like you know every aspect of our lives yeah, pretty but, much how women mm-hmm. are socialized constantly that don't go out. All of those things that we've all grown up hearing that girls shouldn't mm-hmm. dress a certain way, shouldn't drink alcohol, shouldn't have male friends, like pretty much mm-hmm. all of that. Obviously, it's everywhere. Like these are things that happen in all media and all over the world. But the way it's manifested in South Asia happens in a really specific way. And so for this episode, we chose a recent Pakistani movie which actually faced a lot of censorship from the political parties and a lot of public outrage as well for trying to portray how rape and sexual assault survivors you know what they go through after facing a situation like this Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that you know like we personally like weren't like you know as we all like if you've been with us for this long you know, that I'm from Bangladesh and Rick is from India. So neither mm. of us were really familiar with Pakistani movies, which is unfortunate. I feel like given that the language barrier is like easier for us to navigate, we should be more familiar with Pakistani movies. But, you know, we did have to defer to like an expert on this, <laughs> like for a lot of our research on for this you know episode. And there's this great article by Sadaf Ahmed, and we'll link it on our website, sarizonscreen.com. Um, And she kind of summarizes the general issues with, you know, recent Pakistani movies, specifically the ones that portray like, you know, rape and like sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is like a sad trend, like sad, you know, kind of horrifying, but like also weird that, that this isn't as like as much of an issue in like Bollywood is just like in Pakistani movies about rape, the victim of rape will almost inevitably die either by murder or suicide. And Mm. she, like, I think looked at 60-something movies over, like, the last five years to sort of make that analysis. And it's very depressing that, like, that that is sort of the mainstream portrayal of this. Yeah, and Um, that narrative is really pervasive, I mean, in other parts of South Asia, too, that, like, you know, if anything like sexually violent happens to a woman 
then she should just like die because her life is you know over after that point or like it won't mm-hmm. amount to anything because this happened to her mm-hmm. like it's almost like a better outcome somehow right mm. and like oftentimes there'll always be like you know two tonal sort of again like two sort of like you know view like tonal things that they'll try to do with this one can be like you know a martyrdom of sorts mm. or rather and then the other will be like oh this is a punishment for being raped in the first place and neither are really great and the director that we watched for um this movie Shoaib Mansoor is someone who has tried to raise awareness on this topic in the past and i mean it's mildly revolutionary actually that he isn't killing the survivor at the end because of you know the sad shame of it all like what and mm-hmm. yeah and like i think one of his previous movies actually dealt with the trans character as well mm-hmm. which you know again is you know not very common in Pakistani movies or even South, like you know broader South Asian movies in general for sure but yeah so for this episode we watched Shoaib Mansoor's Barna which is his 2017 film and it's a social drama starring Mahira Khan as Sara and Harun Shahid as Ami who's portraying a differently abled person and there's some issues with that we'll get into that in like a bit but um you know this movie attempts to highlight sort of the social and legal struggles faced by survivors of sexual assault right. and especially like sexual assault that you face at the hands of like more privileged and more like powerful people and that is very important because that is something that south in south asia or everywhere else in the world privilege is a big factor in whether you'll get any justice or not or even if you can attempt to try to get justice yeah the privilege of the assaulter and the privilege the power dynamic of the privilege mm-hmm. between the assaulter and the survivor is like such an important factor in like you know the mm-hmm. outcome of how things will go after that yeah like yeah. unfortunately unfortunately yeah. but yeah and like sara um our our like lead here um she's a teacher from what seems like a middle to upper middle class family generally mm-hmm. and she gets abducted for political revenge essentially when this one day when she's out with her husband and her sister-in-law and initially they come for the sister-in-law but then she like sort of offers herself instead you know, yeah. quote unquote it's seen as sort of like a very like benevolent sort of like sacrificial, sacrificial sort yeah. of like gesture then she's gone for three days and like you know when she returns it's implied that like you know she's been like assaulted by this these very well connected people i think one of them is supposed to be like the son of the prime minister and like a nephew of a governor or something yeah and the fact is that he does this just because um we get to know later in the movie that this political revenge is because sometime in the past like sara was like in a traffic jam and then her like the prime minister was like blockading traffic so she like went up to him and asked him to like stop blockading the traffic and so this was like essentially done as revenge or punishment for like her mm-hmm. like voicing any f- kind of dissent against like the government basically yeah and like i think this is something that's like important to highlight because like i think a lot of the movies in our subcontinent that show rape will often show it as something that has to do with like promiscuity quote unquote again mm-hmm. like or like you know some like other thing that like you know a, a lot of the times like we'll see rape also in like sort of like asserting power before like another man mm-hmm. like thing like over another man like we'll see it as rape as something as asserting power over another man and nothing to do with the woman and i think like what's interesting to highlight in this is that like a lot of the times you know the general consensus you know unfortunately in the subcontinent is that rape is something that happens because because of the perceived like promiscuity quote unquote of the you know serve you know victim and everything but you know this movie actually ends up highlighting you know the power dynamic more, yeah yeah which is often the a reality right that yeah. like because rape is never ever about like just the victim it's often 
like it's a tool of like, like subjugation essentially right yeah. like so yeah, often it's a tool of like asserting power not just over the victim but also like her family and, and like, the men related in, to her yeah. and the men related to her right then that comes back down to like that honor culture thing and what's interesting is that oftentimes we will see this to some effect in sort of those like very like easy consumable sort of movies mm. where like you know the villain will like rape the female like lead for like you know to assert power over like you know either her dad or her her like love you know like love interest mm. and like but that's the thing that like even though we have portrayals that will tell us that it's about power like you know, they're so, so glossed will, over like yeah they're so glossed over yeah and oftentimes people will still not register that people like will still take away oh but she was dressed that way yeah or, or she, she went like, out she was asking way. for it people will always yeah. say she was asking for it yeah and yeah, yeah i think yeah. like this movie really sheds light on that the purity culture in pakistan and the scrutiny and the stigma and the social ostracization that survivors of sexual violence face and i mean we see this with like how sara or like mahira khan's like entire family ends up like discouraging her to even mm-hmm. like seek justice after she comes back from whatever happens to her and i think one of the things that i would like to note though is that i appreciated that this movie chose not to like show gratuitous violence like mm-hmm. it was implicit i think that's something that mm-hmm. i can get behind um because it's mm-hmm. not necessary because it's a way to like sort of cater to the male gaze again when you actually show that kind of gratuitous violence so yeah yeah and you can look into the after the aftermath of such violence without gratuitously presenting it on absolutely screen. and as we were saying you know like you know she, the movie basically goes through like her wanting to seek justice and every system and institution around her basically like failing mm-hmm. her like be it her family or her husband or like the legal system or any like pretty much everything and you know and what happens is that she's essentially left with no choice and her and her husband have to resort to like murdering the rapist like super violently again mm-hmm. And, you know, which, you know, kind of fair, but also like sad that that is the only option that you have. And I think, I mean, before we start and get into like the social message and like how sexual assault is like portrayed in this movie, I think what we want to start with is like how the differently able character is presented and it's like implications in how we socially understand all of these things like ableism masculinity mm-hmm. and yeah and i think like the movie is like really problematic at some points and there are a lot of like ableist comments and references to ami mm-hmm. who sarah's husband and sometimes he even says them himself which is like i think even worse and it's all because he has uh, he's shown to have a limp because he has polio and i mean there's also the fact that he's being played by a naval bodied man is like a mm-hmm. whole other thing and we've talked about this in the past yeah and i think the purpose for his character to be there was very much that sort of patriarchal notion of like you know social like hierarchy mm-hmm. like, and whatnot right and like the fact that her status was you know very much tied to the man that she's with But yeah, like I think it's really sad that like his character is and like his disability specifically is used almost as a prop in the movie mm-hmm. to feed into sort of Sarah's like, you know, saint-like image for the premise of the movie, this sort of sacrificial good woman who's a caregiver to her differently abled husband and you know who also like, uh, you know, like presents herself instead of like, you know, her sister-in-law like, you know, and like, you know, they sacrifices so much, you know, like for other people. but also at the same time like we see his disability being used to sort of like undermine his masculinity mm-hmm. and also her social status because in under patriarchy like you know her social status is only as good as the man that she's with and it it is very problematic you can have differently able characters and like i'm not saying that it's not like you know like this isn't like rooted in like real world difficulties that differently able people face mm-hmm. but like also it just seemed really like poorly yeah it seemed very like 
tokenizing. And I mean, it's also problematic on another level because this all plays into like, like we said, Sarah's whole like saint-like image and sort of presenting her as this, you know, model victim who's actually deserving of the audience and like society's mm-hmm. sympathy too, right? Yeah, and, like, I think, like, that whole, like, you know, model victim thing, like, which sounds awful, but, like, like you know, for a movie that's trying to raise social awareness, you'd think that it could at least try to get away from that, but, like, it seemed very evident from the get-go that the movie is trying very hard for the audience to, be like, on not be Sarah's able to Sarah's take... side, like, root for her. Yeah, yeah, like, to have any reason to not be on Sarah's yeah. side, essentially, right? yeah. And, yeah, and it's just very sad that, like, they have to, like, sort of, like, use, like, disability as such a sort of, like, token to, like, do that. Mm -hmm. Or, like, I don't know, like, that just felt, like, kind of, like, shitty. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, it all plays into that intersection of hegemonic masculinity and ableism and patriarchy playing into each other. Because, you know, traditional notions of masculinity are often associated with physical differences in strength between men and women, particularly able-bodied men. And so the patriarchy, like classism, ableism, racism, casteism, they all create this system that protects the power and privilege of able-bodied upper class upper caste men essentially and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's sad because the same systems that keep these men in power are also the same systems that will oppress women and you know marginalize people from different identities of like class caste gender and differently able people as well Yeah, and according to these sort of like patriarchal notions of hegemonic masculinity, Sarah's husband being differently able makes him somehow less of a quote-unquote man. And it's, you know, used as an emasculating plot device. And then he's further emasculated when his wife is like taken, which, you know, honor culture. Right. And, you know, he's taken not just by any man, but also an able-bodied man, and he's unable to do, do anything about it. The rapist acts like he's entitled to her body and attention just because he's able bodied and powerful it's sad like i mean like i'm not i don't know like if i'm like there to say like you know the movie is like this isn't the part that the movie is like doing badly this is how often reality treats like masculinity and ableism but it just is like depressing yeah and i think it's so dehumanizing for him to like you know just be shown as this vessel for all of this toxicity in his environment and like just kind of like play into those like stereotypes around differently abled people and Mm -hmm. that whole intersection to like i mean the story is almost set up to like keep emasculating him almost like at every turn Mm -hmm. which is like and it's weird because him being like dishonored because of his wife being assaulted is somehow is sometimes shown as like a bigger deal in the movie too and it's weird how like even though he's a differently able man he's still like in the patriarchal notions of power he's still technically more like important than his like wife regardless and that's something that the plot also shows but yeah like recently we've been seeing a lot of these sort of rape revenge movies which is where i would categorize like this movie in yeah and it's like you know we see it in like bulbul which we talked about in our first episode which also had a problematic portrayal of like a with of a person with disability yeah and i think that like but in that one, we see him being, like, sexually violent. Mm. And, like, but, you know, the thing is, like, whether you try to, like, emasculate, emasculate someone or, you know, over-mask someone. I don't know what the word for that is. <laughs> but, like, like it's just, like, it's dehumanizing. Like, both of those portrayals are dehumanizing in very different ways. And, like, you know, it just makes them, like, you know... I don't know, like, I just have been very disappointed, like, with these movies that are trying to do, like, sort of social awareness in one way, but then, like, fails in, like, this other way completely. I think it also plays into, like, that whole idea. I think we see that in movies now that, like, movies that claim to be social dramas or have, like, social messages often have this thing where they feel like they need to, like, represent every possible, like, Mm -hmm. issue and like this would this movie would have been fine if you know ami was like an, an able bodied man too like this movie would still be important yeah nothing would change. yeah it would yeah, still like, like have a good message 
yeah all of those things but yeah it's just yeah i, I just feel like it's, it was done badly like i mean it tried to show something that happens but it, i don't know if it did it like that great and also we're we're not people to sort of make that judgment call ultimately yeah you know that was one of the issues of the movie that we wanted to touch on but like also i think another thing you know with with her husband and like I think rest of her family, there is this whole issue of like you know everyone being so unkind and unsupportive when she does like return. Mm-hmm. And I mean this isn't like far from the truth, right? Like the, again, these are like um things that sexual assault survivors often face, mm-hmm. like you know lack of support from their family or even pressure from society to just stay silent about these things mm-hmm. and i mean i think that's why like the kainat sumuru documentary was so like heartbreaking because you know the entire family stood by her despite all of the persecution and like violence that they all collectively mm-hmm. also faced right yeah like her brother was literally like murdered they were run out of their like house like multiple times mm-hmm. like they faced just so much political like and societal persecution and like you know like i'm not like blaming the director we're not we're not blaming the director for this like this is very much the reality for most people that you know they don't get any support from their family Mm. and you know and she's shown to be like generally privileged and you know that's usually a prerequisite for even wanting to dare to want justice in her countries but it's depressing to see that even at that intersection she still doesn't have support from anyone including her parents and her husband which you know yeah and i mean when she's like gone those three days nobody in her family like even tries to report it and it's only her like sister-in-law called like magul i think who she goes in the place of who even tries to like say something or like says that like oh we should report it or something and then like we hear Mm. that you know the parents and the in-laws are all saying oh we'll like get run out of the country if we even like speak out about this or report that she's missing or Mm -hmm. anything Right. Yeah, and yeah, and that's why I think like, you know, when we're pointing this out, you know, again to reiterate, we're not criticizing the director. This is sadly the consequence for most people that even attempt to be supportive. And like, you know, even we see this like even like institutionally, like the doctors that she goes to, they tell her to like sort of like hush down about this. Even in reality, doctors are like super bad when it comes to reporting assault, abuse, rape, and trafficking in our countries. They're pretty much just like, oh, get in, get out, right? And the, and the thing is that the doctor is like in play such an important role mm. in sort of like this sort of situations, yeah. But you know, it's hard because like in our countries, like women are barely sometimes even allowed to talk or be in charge of their own healthcare. Yeah, I mean, their, their bodily autonomy is restricted mm-hmm. to that level that they can't like private like you know yeah like medical care yeah yeah no I, i think i was recently reading this like um post about like how like um this woman gave birth and when she was like in the hospital bed like the nurse was like oh yeah like she like the nurse was urging her husband to go to the canteen and like get like some food and whatnot Mm -hmm. and and the husband was like no i'm not i'm not hungry like it's fine but then like the nurse kept insisting so like the husband decided to go and then the nurse asked her like oh like are you like okay like is this like you know like are you in a safe environment and whatnot and it seems like such a thoughtful like gesture and like and it's not common in the west either but i feel like that sort of that position of like semi-authority that healthcare providers are often in Mm -hmm. they could make such a difference that's true Um, yeah but yeah like it's it's sad but i mean i understand there's threats to their life but it is you know sad and like oftentimes doctors will like go out of their ways to be not helpful right yeah Um, yeah and we saw that in this movie because i mean the doctor pretty much told her like you know nothing's gonna happen if you like report this you're you're going Mm -hmm. to be in trouble and and that all comes down to you know the whole purity and honor culture part of it where you know a woman's worth is essentially defined by how much she conforms to these like heteronormative ideas of purity and how she's seen as like property where everything about her is reflective of the reputation and the social standing of the men around her and so like if she steps Mm -hmm. out of those like well-defined boundaries of what good behavior is supposed to be then that can be punishable with like a lot of violence if not death yeah 
And like, you know, like what this means is that essentially that the men around us, fathers, husbands, brothers, that they have a right to feel ownership of over our purity and by extension our bodies and agencies right because when there's you know value in something quote unquote then that needs to be protected by someone and at any cost and then the same idea is what makes you know rape one of the most insidious forms of control and power in this culture because it prioritizes purity over someone's like life and quality of life right and I think one of the most, like, you know, the pervasive sort of narrative that's uh, perpetuated by purity culture is that rape and sexual violence are, like, the worst, most, like, violating things that can happen to a, wim- mm-hmm. a woman. And they're often likened to something that you can't recover from. And it's not just in our cinema, but also in, like, you know, mainstream news and our social political narratives as well. Yeah, and as we were saying, like, you know, oftentimes raping a woman is a way not just to punish her, but the men around her. And we see this in, like, local political strifes all the way to, like, war crimes, right? Like, rape has been used as a tool for violence and control for millennia. And, you know, in this movie, right, and in this movie, her husband literally leaves her, her father commits suicide, and her mother leaves the country, (laughs) because everyone is too, like, ashamed to be sympathetic, or, like, show any, like, empathy, like, for this person who, like, is supposedly a close person to them. Yeah. And it's almost as if, like, her trauma is more traumatic for everyone else. (laughs) Like, it's, it's very depressing. Like, we're not laughing, it's just, I think we're, like, we've been appalled like you know like not at the director's portrayal but just the reality of it i think is often darker than like the movie yeah Um, and this like goes back into that whole like pedestalizing and problematizing you know women's bodily autonomy and reputation in a way that like they're collectively owned so everything that happens to them at least like in terms of violence happens Mm -hmm. to everyone else and yeah, in this movie, rape was used as like a way to like politically silence her. And, you know, it was like a vengeful like thing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and it's because she called out the special treatment of the political elite. Right. And by its very nature, this act of violence was means to exert power over Sarah and her family not just politically, but just to, like, remind her of her, like, place in, like, you know, society, in socioeconomic terms, you know, mm. it's almost as if the rapist was flaunting that he could get away with it. And we see this a lot. I think in the Bangladesh documentary that we saw where the sort of border did not touch on this <laughs> was that political power is something that people, like, they, like, we see in the interview when she's talking to the rapist that they're laughing about how nothing will happen to them because the law enforcement won't do anything, the local people won't do anything, and even if her family wanted to, like, they literally, they can't do anything. Yeah, because like, the rapists have too much power because of, like, you know, mm-hmm. these hierarchies. And-, and yeah, like, and I think, you know, it's just really sad because, like, after all this like sort of like you know power dynamics and everything and the system being stacked against you essentially yeah Yeah. the system being stacked against the victim even then the burden of demanding justice or providing proof seems to fall on the shoulders of the victims alone and it's this brutal process that leads to being scrutinized by like like you know if not locally like nationally sometimes Mm. right and to like you know just to have to meet like these sort of unachievable standards of purity yeah and that goes into you know like the whole like narrative around like you know that scrutiny is why so many people have this idea of like what a model victim is and I think like in this movie we see like Sarah calling her husband out for being rude to his like mother and she's already sort of being like projected as this like you know ideal polite like super nice like Mm daughter-in-law and like we also mentioned that the whole like saint-like image of her because she has a differently abled husband yeah and she's a caregiver right and that is supposed to make her a good person 
and you know it's just sad because like you know when she like you know decides to go instead of her like you know sister-in-law like all of these things like tie into that thing of like you know that she had to be positioned mm-hmm. as the model victim this that the director almost like had no choice because any sort of deviance from that would lead you know like just lead to complete loss of sympathy from the audience yeah, right yeah and she also falls falls into others in the sort of like saintly model victim stereotype she's also like falls into the you know warrior stereotype like you know like you know girl boss warrior stereotype that is often imposed on sexual assault survivors mm. like oh yeah if you don't take this at your own hand then you know did you even deserve justice yeah if you don't fight like if you don't lose something yeah. through it like did you even fight like like somehow this is the burden of like the survivor and not rest of society mm-hmm. right that this is not something that rest of society is failing on this is something you individually are failing on and you know all of that goes into sort of like new you know we talked about it that sort of neoliberal idea of like individualism an individual morality and individual state responsibility yeah. also yeah, yeah 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 and you know i think it's just sad because you know this too is a trope again like you know other tropes like you know silent sufferers and you know other like tropes that come up with this sort of genre of movies and all of them are like not that great you know yeah. like there there's so many multitudes of experiences and you know diverse experiences based on your like specific intersection of identity and it's just sad because like we don't have those like nuanced portrayals of you know these yeah, things yeah it always comes to boil down to like these three things you know either you get murdered or suicided essentially or you like have to like solely fight for your you know rights to justice and sacrifice so much and be also worth you know the justice yeah. quote unquote or you know silently like you know um suffer until you like die again dying seems to like be the sort of like better alternative in most of these movies yeah and like i mean the whole like model victim thing is like obviously if you it, it's because you know it's so that society can deem you worthy of having like being sympathetic to you and we see in this movie too like despite being you know this ideal like wife daughter in law and like just everything and from a relatively privileged socioeconomic location she still has no emotional or social support mm-hmm. from her family or even like any of the yeah. institutions around we her. We see her husband also like be super shitty about it like he goes as far as to say like oh yeah you should have let my sister you know be the yeah. one to get abducted because at least we could like keep it a secret and then she could have eventually gotten married but like you know I know about it so like you're like tarnished and how can I live with that knowledge essentially. Yeah. And that's also sad you know like it goes back to that purity culture and how it directly affects like you know that emasculation and all of that jazz Mm -hmm. but yeah no i think that it's just sad because of how much we see her continuously being shamed for wanting justice at all Mm -hmm. and you know despite all her efforts despite being a model victim nothing is ever enough Mm -hmm. essentially and you know we said it you know kind of you know perfectly in the last episode (laughs) that like the ideal victim is someone who's not a victim at all and that is the irony sad irony of being a woman or you know a marginalized person or a victim in South Asia. Um, yeah. yeah yeah and I think like speaking of you know institutional failures I think this movie also does a pretty decent job of just showing how ineffective and really just downright damaging the legal system and the institutions are in South Asia when it comes to handling sexual violence and like assault. Mm -hmm. And I also like highlighted how much privilege plays into all of this into like you know who can demand justice and who can you know be prosecuted for committing a crime and you know be it political power or financial power like you know or any other kind of power like this these sorts of power will pretty much insulate you from just from the justice system, not just in South Asia but everywhere else. Right? Yeah, and I mean, um, <laughs> with corruption being as rampant 
as it is in all of our countries. And I mean, it's nearly impossible for the less privileged to seek justice or even like access the resources to navigate the justice system in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I want to like talk about like a really well-publicized case in India. It was like a, a murder case actually. And it was also similar with some kind of political revenge. It was called... Um, the Jessica Lal murder case. And there's a movie about it starring like Rani Mukherjee and stuff. And the movie is like ironically called No One Killed Jessica because of how like the person who murdered her was so politically connected that like he paid off all the witnesses to like say they saw nothing, even though they were like a bunch of people at a party who saw her get like shot. And so, I mean, this isn't, you know, unusual for South Asian judicial processes where, you know, all these intimidation tactics and violence um, mm -hmm. is used to sort of suppress victims or like witnesses or like anyone. Yeah, pretty and much. like, you know, we had this classic rich, well-connected XYZ son of a politician and he pretty much gets away with bribery and political maneuvering. And... They also use the marriage excuse in this one too. They like mm. show like a proof of marriage between them or something. So that was another tactic. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, we saw that in the Kenatsumru case as well. And, you know, it's sad to like have to like identify them that way, but like it you know, it is what it is. But like yeah, pretty much political power, financial power pretty much is a getaway get out from jail yeah. free card, essentially. In, you know, most parts of the world. You know, I think most of us are familiar with one or two cases where this has happened, you know. But yeah, um all of these um institutional failures and inaction pretty much corner the victims into feeling mm. super helpless, you know. Yeah. Rightfully so. And, you know, because there's never any option for justice. And, you know, what does that lead to? Right. Essentially, this entire culture of, like, demanding death and death penalties for rapists to the point of, like, celebrating, like, vigilante justice. So, looking back to Bangladesh, I remember a couple of years ago, there was this guy called, was calling himself Batman. Or I don't know if people were calling himself Batman, <laughs> calling him Batman. But, like, he, he was killing rapists that were coming up on the news like very wow. like death note like and you know this is one of the very few instances of like serial mm. killing in bangladesh but like instead of being disparaging of like these like in the serial killing people were like super psyched about it everyone was like oh my god like you know just like in death note everyone was like celebrating it but yeah like it's just depressing just like how bad our <laughs> legal systems are that people literally had to pray for a vigilante justice seeking like batman type to like you know see any change um instead of like wanting to see changes mm. in the system and this goes back into that whole issue of like punitive justice, right? That we talked about last time as well, that like people don't like make institutional change or like, you know, create awareness or anything to like curb sexual violence in most countries. And death penalties are actually like have been shown to be ineffective and make it harder to convict a rapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because oftentimes death penalties have much higher thresholds mm. for, like, proof. And the burden of proof is, given that it's placed on the victim, it becomes even harder for the victim to get justice, essentially. But, I mean, you still can't blame people for wanting, like, demanding mm -hmm. death penalties or, like, wanting, you know, institutional murders. No, yeah, no. Like, I don't blame people, like, at all. I just I just think that it's... It, it is sad that, like, politicians will often, like, you know, put a death penalty on it and then pat themselves on the back. And oftentimes that'll do, like, absolutely nothing for preventative measures, right? And I think this also kind of ties into how, like, these rape revenge fantasy movies have become, like, so, like, popular or have started coming up so often in our media mm -hmm. where, you know, the rapist is often brutally killed by either the victim or the men around her. And, yeah, it's kind of become, like, mm -hmm. this cultural cultural staple at this point, right? I mean, it's not surprising that they have come up the way that they have, right? It's almost, like, necessitated... Mm -hmm. given sort of the culture that like we live in right there's no space for victims to seek and receive justice um the patriarchal nature mm -hmm. of the political and legal institutions like you know 
pretty much just like like allow for staggering amounts of sexual violence to like keep going like on like completely checked and then like you know it's hushed in homes and you know power dynamics resulting from class caste and other aspects of you know social identities pretty much you know hinder justice at like every step of the way the likelihood of being believed and taken seriously for most survivors is so low it's almost like more realistic at this point to aspire to just have these like murder fantasies right yeah because the consequences like that they will face through the institutions and the legal system will sometimes like result in like more drama mm-hmm. essentially but yeah like i think that you know rape revenge fantasies are pretty much almost like you know inevitable in a culture where victims have like no space to like you know be believed mm. or like get any form of justice right and like in its worst iteration we have we see it as a sort of like you know plot device mm-hmm. to sort of you know further the hero's journey you know save the damsel take revenge acquire power you know like in some way like you know become rich or something but you know recently we've been seeing a lot more like feminist iterations of this you know bulbul being one of them and you know it's often used as this sort of empowering narrative to show like women mm-hmm. and victims taking back power over their circumstance and doling yeah. out like retributive justice on their own because you know society is you know failing them but yeah like not all iterations of this trope are successful at being feminist or empowering you know yeah and i think like another sort of issue with some of these like narratives you know about revenge for rape is that they almost use sexual violence as a way to justify violence by women and marginalized characters because mm-hmm. any violence that like women or marginalized characters express would be seen as sort of endangering to you know the status quo of socio political power dynamics and so like i mean the idea while it may be you know mm-hmm. subversive to like take on traditionally masculine roles by women and that might seem like feminist but i think it kind of perpetuates that same idea that women are weak until they try to become like men and it's kind of based on those same problematic notions that kind of further these gender binaries and like gender roles essentially mm-hmm. and yeah like and another aspect of like how problematic this mm-hmm. is just how the drama of sexual violence is often you know like used just as like character development you know it made her stronger it made her a warrior like you know or it made her this i don't know like this is like a quick tangent but like i don't know if anyone's read like lore olympus here and like in it like um like you know it's just one of those like greek myth you know aus essentially where like mm. um mm. it's a hades persephone story retelling and like in it we see like you know like um persephone being like raped but like i don't know like it's it's been tried it's been mm. tried to be handled so delicately like you know compared mm. to like a lot of the stuff that i've consumed before but even then it there's something a little distasteful about using rape as something to like just like mm. you know, add to your like you know character arc you know like it's like oh yeah like that's a you know it's like a quirk like you know like oh you like art you like painting and you've been raped yeah it's great to it is in a different way like the usual problem with these movies is that you we often this character growth moment is often used to sort of show like very great to it is like violence on screen and that is a problem but oftentimes there's also like this sort of emotional great to it is element of it where it's just like also kind of problematic it's just like oh yeah like right. she would be boring unless this didn't happen to her which i don't know also is like kind of problem i don't know yeah i feel like there's sensitive ways to do this but i i can speak to like very few like media that like does it sensitively yeah and i think like the other part of you know this whole like social drama rape revenge fantasy sort of genre is that like it kind of feeds into those middle and upper class like anxieties class based anxieties that middle and upper class people have because they often like these portrayals are often so cast and class blind and they'll often pit middle or upper class women women against like a 
more marginalized class or caste man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean, more commonly, that's where they'll be pitted against, you know. But like, you know, we in this movie, it was an upper class man, and you know, more accurate to the reality of it. But yeah, at the end of the day, like you know, most of these movies will mm. be directed by men and for men, or like you know, or it's usually a man's fantasy that a woman will brutally enact violence and avenge, you know, injustice done against, like... And it'll somehow, like, purify her again, re-purify her. Yeah. It's it's very, like, Marvel... Yeah, like, it's this very, like, Marvel, like, sort of fantasy to it, right? Um, yeah, but, yeah, like, I think the thing is that most women would rather not get raped at all, you know? And, you know, then have, like, a, you know, big, you know blockbuster sexy like marvel sort of arc of like character development or revenge or whatever um and we're grateful that Mm. the movie didn't show like any gratuitous scenes yeah i think like ultimately you know movies that talk about sexual violence or portray it just need to be very sensitive and delicate and make their best attempt to be you know authentic Mm -hmm. and representative of actual survivors experiences and you know not be problematic but Mm -hmm. But I guess this is a good time to maybe like go into like our feminist rating, film rating system and how this movie kind of fared on our sauce meter. Mm-hmm. I don't think I like hated this movie. I, I feel like, I, I don't know, like it's just not a genre of movie that you can, I personally just never feel entertained by. But yeah, like I think for the sauce meter, like I think, you know, our first question is, you know, is there at least one character who adds a nuanced representation of a diverse South Asian identity without stereotyping and tokenization. It has some, like, diverse characters, but I don't think it, like, is great on executing, like, non-tokenizing, like, diverse characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like I would want to give it, I don't want to give it, like, a zero, or like a minus <laughs> score, which we have been very liberal with recently. I don't want to give it a minus score. But I feel like, you know, it does try to sort of look into the issue of like masculinity and ableism like a little bit badly, but a little bit. Yeah. So like I think it's a 0.25 for me. Barely scraping yeah. by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, I think we're being generous with this one, but... um. Next question, are the primary characters, especially female and marginalized characters, portrayed with agency, individuality, and motivation? Yeah, I mean, we kind of see, you know, the whole, like, warrior, like, Sara kind of trying to continue exercising some agency despite all the obstacles that, like, she's facing and the family pressure. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, you know, with her sexual assault being, like, made so much about her husband... Yeah, I don't know. Is this what happens when men mm. make rape movies? Yeah, I don't know. It just felt, it did feel very tropey, ultimately. Like, I don't know how much she was her own character rather mm. than just, you know, serving a trope. And I don't know, like, something about her agency or portrayal of agency just felt very, like, yeah, incomplete or restricted, yeah. And, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I, I think it's a half a point. For me, too much. I don't know. 0.75 yeah. would be like too much, I feel like. Yeah, yeah 0.5 I guess I'll go with is that where yeah, I'm 0.5. at. Um, so, our third question is Are the female and marginalized characters shown to be cognizant of their identities and how they exist within the social context? Um, for this, I think we can you know, also be like, you know, slightly generous here because both Sarah and Ami seem to be aware of how different aspects of their identity and mm. privilege or disprivilege them. And even their family seems like aware of their socioeconomic standing in comparison to that of the rapists, right? Who's like a lot more powerful. And, you know, you know, they mostly don't address class specifically, but, you know, there is still hints of like class awareness. It's very ableist, you know, that, that issue and everything. So, you know, it. I don't. I wouldn't give it a one. Again, like zero point five for me. You know, there that one moment of class awareness mm-hmm. did exist when, like, Sarah was like, "Oh, if women like me can't even like demand justice, then who can?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like 
for our fourth question, do the women and marginalized characters have meaningful relationships with each other? Um, I don't know. Like for me, like I felt like not really the only other person who we see her have a semi relationship with mm-hmm. is like her sister in law. And, you know, that she doesn't really have much of a role in this. Yeah. So, I mean, a bad relationship is still a relationship but like you know like i mean her mom and everyone like i mean yeah they're like bad relationships but i guess we do get to see a little bit of it like yeah but i feel like her like relationships with all of the other like women in her life are kind of you know reduced to like that slut shaming and like victim blaming kind of attitude from her like mother-in-law and Mm -hmm. her mom yeah yeah point two five for me yeah gonna go to point two five on this one yeah, and last question. Does it challenge any flawed notions upheld by capitalism, patriarchy, caste system, etc.? It tries, I guess, but not really. It, it did try. It did try. And I, I just wanted to mention something. I feel like, I don't know if it like kind of like glossed over in like what we talked about before, but like also like there is an issue with like like rape movies, portrayal movies that try to portray rape. Um, these movies to mm. always be sort of centered on women being the victim. And I feel like it's very rare to see like any like sort of like movies that try to sort That's of challenge true. that idea in society, right? And like this movie didn't. I just like felt like, you know, like it reminded me of it. But like, yeah, like this movie didn't. Mm. But I know that his other movie tried to a little bit. Yeah, and no, it is interesting that that is also another bias that keeps getting like reasserted by like movies. But yeah, sorry, tangent. But like, for me, I think this movie tried. And, you know, semi tried, semi did okay. And like props, you know, for not killing the woman as per Pakistani movie trends. So yeah, yeah for me, it's same. a 0.5. Generous, generous 0.5 here. I, I, and I feel like it's just hard to rank this movie. Because like, I don't know, I personally find it very like hard to sit through. Like, yeah, yeah I, I scroll through a lot of it. Like, it just was a little, like, you know, intense. And I do acknowledge, like, and I feel like it's important to acknowledge that movies like these are still important in general. And we can, of course, like, hope for, like, more Mm. and, like, you know, better iterations of these movies. This one wasn't, like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And And I imagine it's very important to, like, start these conversations, you know. And the fact that it exists, is it is important. And, you know, you know, even though it ends up scoring like a two out of five on our rank- rating system, I think that, you know, we shouldn't like, you know, Absolutely. we're not going to undermine yeah. its value in society. With that, though, yeah, thank you for tuning into this episode of Sari's On Screen. Make sure to subscribe and drop us some feedback. We're available everywhere that podcasts are platformed. Yeah, and make sure to also check out our website and follow us on our socials at Sari's On Screen everywhere. And we'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Bye.